One of the most polarizing things you can call someone with a disability is inspirational. People either love it or hate it. My name is Nate. I'm a wheelchair user, and I call my show We're the Inspiration, featuring real stories about people with disabilities and some of the people closest to them. These stories are not designed to inspire, just to entertain. This will be my first episode for October, which is Spina Bifida Awareness Month, and I was recently made aware that people need a really basic understanding of what Spina Bifida is, and that's how we're going to start out, but first, Julie Antos, thank you for being the inspiration for another episode. Hey! Hey! (laughs) What's happening? Nothing. How are you? Well, when I say you're the inspiration for this episode, what I mean is that, you know, we're doing this on October 3rd, so not too deep into the month yet. But yesterday, you messaged me and you said you had something that was either going to interest me or terrify me, and you weren't sure which. Basically, proof that somebody who said they were in the medical field had a lot of misinformation about spina bifida. I don't know this person personally, but apparently what happened was a friend of mine got a comment on Facebook saying that spina bifida is not something that you're born with. It is something you acquire after birth. And this was after my friend posted something on Facebook about spina bifida awareness because October is Spina Bifida Awareness Month. And the person who she decided to comment on was the person with Spina Bifida who knows for a fact that she was born with Spina Bifida, as all of us are, because all of us with Spina Bifida are born with Spina Bifida because you have to be born with Spina Bifida. There are a lot of weird things about Spina Bifida. And when I say weird, It's not always detected before birth. Nobody knows what causes it, at least as far as I know. I've heard that a lack of folic acid combined with genetic factors can cause spina bifida, but it's not like set in stone. Right. That's one theory. Yeah. And that's the thing. There are different theories, you know? Yeah. I knew when I was in high school which was, let's say, 25 years ago or so, that at that time, nobody knew what caused it. And it seems like now we're not any farther along in finding out. We're really not. We're not nearly as far along as I thought we would be in 2022. It's that. I was born in 1988, and... My mom had an ultrasound to figure out that I had spina bifida. That's how she found out. And we're really not farther along than that. That's still how women find out after like three months of pregnancy, because that's when my mother found out. Overall, we're just not farther along than that. When you told me that there was this misinformation coming from a self-proclaimed medical professional. I'm not sure what medical field she is in. I don't know her personally, like I just said. 
I can't imagine someone in the medical field not knowing the basic facts that you don't have spina bifida after you're born. You are literally born with it. That is literally what spina bifida is. You are born with your spine split. That's what genetically spina bifida basically is. In Latin, spina bifida literally means split spine. I actually didn't even know that. That's literally the definition of spina bifida is split spine, and it splits at different locations, and that affects your ability. Depending on where the gap is or the split is, you know, you could have a wide range of abilities or lack thereof. You know, you could move your legs. You might not be able to move your legs. Some people with spina bifida can walk short distances. Yeah. That's why it is called a snowflake condition because everyone with spina bifida has a different experience. I am an an L2, which means lymphatics 2. You already know more about your own condition than I know about mine because I'd have to look up what I was. I was told that I was an L2, which means that I am in a wheelchair full-time. I have limited mobility in my legs. I can kind of move them a little bit. I can kind of feel them a little bit. Normally, I function as an L2. And that is so different depending on what your level of spine buffet you have. You can go from, I think, S3 all the way down your spine and that affects your mobility from what i understand basically this is what's like you said yesterday terrifying about a medical professional telling you something about spina bifida that you have the condition and supposedly you don't know i'm assuming if this person is in the medical field at all They have nothing to do with newborn babies, I guess. I don't know her or her background, and I don't want to make assumptions, but I don't think it's someone who is knowledgeable about spina bifida. Because if if you know, it's obviously not someone that's knowledgeable about it. Because we agreed right away what they were trying to explain to people was a bold-faced lie. Yes. Whether she meant to lie or not is up for debate, but it's a lie. You are literally born with spina bifida. That is not debatable. You are born with spina bifida. You have to be born with it. It's it's not something that you can contract by eating spoiled lasagna or something like that. No. No. It is not contagious. You cannot attract it. You cannot get it from having sexual intercourse with someone you cannot get spina bifida you are born with it or you're not those are the two options i can't imagine anybody thinking they would get it that way just because even if they didn't know anything about it we just sort of explained you know the weakness in certain areas and i mean that that wouldn't be caused by well any sort of uh, thought that that they would have sex with someone, and then thought that they would get AIDS. Well, I wasn't just saying sex. Like <laughs> I, I was more thinking any sort of contact with people. You know, even if you do have something contagious, I don't think it would make a person's 
extremities weak if they caught it. I agree with you. I'm <laughs> I'm totally on on your side. I'm just I think people are a lot stupider than you're giving them credit for. Well, usually I would think that too, but you know, I want people to listen to the show, so I really can't say that a lot of people are stupid. People are really intelligent. <laughs> Everyone has a valid point in their non-stupidity. Hopefully people are listening to this to learn something. You have to laugh at these comments. Yeah. You just, you have to. Absolutely. To preserve my mental health, you have to laugh at the stupidity of these comments. Otherwise, I think you would drive yourself insane. Well, my whole podcast, to an extent, was... Based on the idea of laughing at comments like that, except, you know, they were at the time more geared toward general disability. And now we're getting really specific because if people think they can tell you something you don't know about a condition that you have and they don't, that is like major league stupidity. Yeah. Last time I did an episode with you, we sort of had an introduction and like clearing some things up between us, which is kind of par for the course when I know somebody and they come on the first time. You were talking about something else a little bit at that time. The feedback that you told me you got was that people wanted you to talk more about that. Yeah. Which, which if I remember correctly, was. I guess some statistical information about how often, I don't know if it's just women or people with disabilities are sexually assaulted. In our conversation last time, a lot of people gave me credit for addressing what can be a difficult issue to talk about, which is sexual abuse among people with disabilities. They gave me credit for addressing the issue, but they wanted me to talk about it in more depth. First, I want to say my mother, who obviously cared a child with spina bifida, she went through AFP screening, which is also called Maternal Serum AFP. It's a blood test that measures the AFP in your blood during pregnancy. AFP is a blood normally processed by a fetal liver that is present in the fluid surrounded by the fetus, which is, in other words, amniotic fluid. It crosses the placenta and enters your blood. And it can either cause a miscalculated due date, defects in the abnormal wall of the fetus, Down syndrome, or other... I think what you were trying to get at is that could be a possible reason that you were born with spina bifida. That's, (laughs) my mother was told she would either have a birth with spina bifida or she was told that she would have twins with. Oh, wow. It was either twins or spina bifida. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think that when people gave you the feedback that you should have talked more about what you know about sexual assault among 
people with disabilities, were they asking to hear about your own experiences or? I think it was part of that. Plus, in general, I don't think people want to pressure me to talk about my own experiences, but they want to know how common it is. Sure. People who told me that know that I'm not really great at talking about my (laughs) experience, but they still think it's an important topic. Well, if that's how you want to approach this, I'm all for it. If you want to sort of dance around it in a way, I think we can do that too. Well, let's talk about the Me Too movement to begin with. Okay. As I said in my previous episode, I'm not going to go on and on about it, but the Me Too movement gained popularity with Alyssa Milano, who's a famous actress, but originally started by a Black woman. And the fact that it was originally started by a Black woman got me thinking about how I was affected by it by being a woman with a disability. Because these Um, things had already happened to you? Well, despite the fact that this topic had gained national attention, it was mainly rich white women, mostly actresses in Hollywood, who had spoken out about the Me Too woman. It wasn't people with disabilities who had talked about it. And when I listened to news coverage of things like the Me Too movement, I found that women in marginalized communities, which was basically women of color, women in the LGBT community, and poor women weren't mentioned nearly as much as Hollywood celebrities and women with disabilities who were mainly completely left out of the conversation. You know, it definitely started in Hollywood. And I don't know if it was people that were more marginalized were left out, but like the celebrities that went through it or even claimed to go through it, those were the ones that made worldwide news. And Mm -hmm. if you weren't a celebrity regardless of your social standing or your gender or anything like that, you were not going to get that much coverage. You might get some local coverage, but that was about it. Right. If you were on CNN or Fox News, people were not talking about you. It was all about the A-list celebrities in Hollywood. Right. I feel like there are many factors that contribute to the silence of women with disabilities And you sent me a a message recently that had to do with ableism. And I feel like those factors that have to do with silence of women and ableism are connected. And that affects how we are viewed by society. I remember doing that, but let me go back and look at what I sent you. Because I don't remember exactly what it was, but I know know what you're talking about. It was this TikTok message, and right. she was talking about sexual abuse and how that has to do with ableism. 83% of disabled women will be sexually assaulted in their lives. And the number is probably much higher than that because only 3% of sexual abuse towards people with developmental disabilities is ever reported. So why is this so common? Police are statistically less likely to believe a disabled person when they come forward of sexual abuse. And abusers know this and take advantage of this because they yeah. can get away with it. 
because of people's ableism, because people don't trust disabled people's word. When we're fighting against sexual assault and rape culture, we need to include fighting against ableism because it's all connected. Oh my God, yes. So 83% are sexually assaulted and only about 3% report it. Yes. I, I don't know what the st- statistics are, but that is a huge amount. 83% and 3% are reported. That was and- based on a TikTok video that you said that I sent you. And that's what it said. I don't know where the woman got her figures from. It could be off, but I don't know that it would be off by that much. Yeah, I don't know that I would quote exactly 83%, but I would say that there are a large amount of people with disabilities. And I am just a woman, so I'm speaking for women, that there are many people with disabilities who have been sexually abused who have not reported it. And I don't know if 83 is the percent, but there's a large number of people who have not reported it. And without going into my specific, I have had different varying levels of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, etc. And I have not reported it because I don't think that people who are cops or in law enforcement would necessarily take me serious. I don't feel comfortable reporting that because I don't know how they would react to me. Not on this show, but this is something that I said about politicians on TikTok, that when it comes to people with disabilities, they either treat us like charity cases or they don't care. And I think that extends to an extent to people with authority. Mm-hmm. The idea that you might go to the cops and they might not believe you or they might not care or they think that you're making too much of something wouldn't surprise me. I haven't been in that specific situation. According to my research, which I did a lot of before this conversation, 83% of women with disabilities will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime, yet many women with disabilities don't come forward about being abused. I don't know if you want to include my situation. I did not report it. And that's why I think 83% of women with disabilities who will be sexually assaulted is not an accurate statistic because so many women with disabilities do not come forward. I will tell you, when I was writing a blog about my life with spina bifida, one of the blogs I wrote was having to do with sexual abuse of people with spina bifida. I, when I was writing the blog, I did not specify whether I was speaking specifically about men or women. Within 24 hours of posting that blog, I had about 200 women send me a message about sexual abuse and their experience with it. These were all women that claimed to have spina bifida or other physical disabilities. 200 in one day. I had 200 in one day send me a message about women with spina bifida and 
specifically themselves with spina bifida or other physical disabilities that had been abused by someone. I was writing a blog for about two years and I decided, okay, it's finally time to talk about sexual abuse among people with disabilities. So I decided to write a blog about people with disabilities in general and seeing the facts and the statistics, etc. I literally had about 200 women, a few men, but mostly women, contact me and tell me about their experience being sexually abused. Varying the levels of sexual abuse, but sexual abuse nonetheless. So do you still do this blog? I don't anymore. I stopped a few years ago because I was just not interested in writing about the blog anymore. It had nothing to do specifically with that blog. I was just the blog was mainly about my life with a disability, and I was just kind of bored with it. Yeah, if this podcast was just about me, I would have stopped after a few episodes. It's hard to write about myself over and over and over again. Like, I literally don't have that much to talk about myself. Like, I'm dealing with medical issues. I have trauma from I have trauma from being treated badly in the past. And what else am I going to talk about? That's what I have to talk about. When you started the blog, was that more for you or for people to learn about a disability that you had? Both, in a way. I wanted to talk about my life with a disability, but I also wanted people to understand what it really is like to have a disability. It's not just people coming up to us and congratulating us for having the ability to push ourselves in Walmart or whatever. It's medical issues, it's anxiety, it's depression, it's so many different things. It's so many surgeries and just so many different things. And I wanted people to understand that just because I have spina bifida does not mean that things are horrible for me and it does not mean that I'm going to be smiling all the time and it also does not mean that I'm going to be depressed all the time and I just want people to understand a realistic view of what my life was like having a disability the good and the bad it seems like we've come full circle at this point because we're talking about spina bifida again yeah Did you have any more to say about the other topic without necessarily going into your personal experiences? I want to say, in general, abuse is about power and control. Therefore, it's easier to abuse someone who cannot defend themselves. And a lot of people view people with disabilities as vulnerable. And in many cases, that includes that women or men with disabilities because we cannot get away from the abuser as fast as someone without a disability. I am in a wheelchair. If someone wants to abuse me, they can attack me. They can physically overpower me and they can abuse me in any way they want because I cannot physically get away from them. I think we both had mixed emotions about this episode, but I want to thank Julie for being the inspiration for it. 
Thanks to everybody else for listening. Remember, we're on TikTok, Discord, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Links will be in the description. Until next time, this is Nate Lurie saying, you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.